2: It's the second time it's gone on. Never got home. They never got home. They never got home. Those those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good yeah. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Hello, podcasters and streamers around the globe. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast here with producer Mark Horgan and for O'McDevitt this week. But don't worry, don't switch to the football show just yet. The good news is that this guy is still here. Oh, you mean me? And to a lesser extent, this guy.
4: Yeah, well, whatever Uh,
0: (laughs) Consider me the movement coach Ido Portal To McDevitt's dojo master John Cavanaugh, lads I'll be blamed If all this goes wrong today
4: Mm. I mean, it's a win-win For McDevitt, really, isn't it?
0: But I can guarantee In McDevitt's absence this week For once, there'll be no mentions Of the Splash Brothers Particularly Steph Curry That was was on every single show For the last couple of weeks
4: I know, I know Once he gets a he gets to be in his bonnet, Mark. You know how he is.
0: There'll be no second captain's negative propaganda against wee Jimmy Nesbitt, but there will be Kabaddi news. Ken, your reaction to the Patna Pirates shock victory over you, Mumba, in the weekend's Pro Kabaddi League final? Very
4: much They did it. Victory. Ah, uh, yeah, I mean... They wanted victory. Uh, and it did happen for them, you yeah. know. Um, Sandeep Narwhal stole the show for you, Murph. Well, listen, I've been banging the Sandeep Narwal drum for about as long as I've been broadcasting, uh, Mark, and I'm just relieved that He finally gets his day in the sun. Well, Kabaddi
0: aside, it's a special time for us here at Second Captains. It's our third birthday this week, and we want to thank all of you out there for listening and supporting us since 2013. We would over 200,000 listens on SoundCloud in the past week alone. A big thanks, too, to the Irish Times and, of course, to all our contributors. And a lot has changed since March 2013, lads. We're not gardening anymore for a star. But Mm -hmm. back when we were preparing for our very first podcast, a man no one had heard of called Conor McGregor was about to quit the sport of mixed martial arts, Ken. He'd He'd yet to get the call from the UFC... He's become disillusioned with his sport he wasn't as notorious as he would have liked back no. then uh, <laughs> Notoriety variety at- levels very low but look at how the landscape has changed in three short years he's doing the late night talk show circuit in the US MMA is now the most clicked on sport in a number of Irish websites and today almost every media outlet had a defeated McGregor splash on their homepage or front page of their papers but what I was so fascinated by this weekend Ken was just how uh, a personality like McGregor's would deal with defeat how, how could someone whose whole game was based uh, on insane levels of boastfulness putting out an image of invincibility sometimes hilarious arrogance what would th- how would their message change in the aftermath of a loss
2: well, I was a little puzzled as to why there was such a widespread reaction saying, oh, look at this humility and good grace. What option do you have when you lose a fight as thoroughly as he lost that one? You you literally don't have another option. I mean, if he had walked into that... You could blame other factors, I suppose. Well, I mean... he Make excuses. Well, we can get to that. Mm. But, you know, I mean, first of all, I have to say, I've seen him... Uh, I mean, he's previously only won these fights in the UFC, and his post uh, his post fight press conference persona is very nice. He's always been very respectful of his opponents. Uh, he's given them credit, you know. I mean, I, I remember him beating Chad Mendes, embracing Mendes in the ring, talking afterwards about what a you know what a great guy Mendes was to have to have stepped up and uh, taken the fight at such short notice. Um, talking about how brave he was. He's done that. And then, of course, a couple of months later at the Go Big press conference, he was back to call him in as a bitch and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I've seen him do that and, and I don't I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be respectful of the opponent after a fight like that. I mean, he was respectful towards Diaz, but I didn't think it was any different from the way that he uh, treats opponents after, you know, almost all of his fights. The Jose Alaw one was maybe a little bit different uh, in that, although even after even after the Jose Aldo fight, he had a couple of nice things to say about Aldo. The only time I've ever heard him say anything nice about Aldo was the immediate aftermath of, of knocking him out. Uh, in this instance, I don't really see what option he had. He was beaten. Well, he was beaten much, badly. it's
0: much easier to be nice about people when you've just defeated them. Yeah. And you're a lot less vulnerable in that position. So I suppose yeah. when somebody comes out and makes no excuses, when he is such a boastful persona previous to that, then... People find that refreshing in a way. Yeah,
2: to be honest, I felt as though he didn't have any option. I mean, if he'd been, if he told Diaz to, you know, shut up, uh, night, and get me another coffee, that would have been something really original uh, in that in that circumstance. You know, the circumstance of the beaten man continuing to Mm. trash talk and demean. I mean, he he let Diaz Diaz have plenty during the week. He called him a tick. He said he couldn't count past five. You know, it was you know he called him fat, skinny. Uh, there was all there was all kinds of stuff in the in the lead up to it.
0: Do you think he'll change the direction of his approach now?
2: I am I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, because which which part of it are we talking about? Are we talking about his his attitude, his his public persona? Yes. Okay. Outside the octagon. Well, I don't really see any reason why he should change that. That's been so successful for him. That's been a brilliant success
0: because he got absolutely destroyed. He's not invincible anymore.
2: He doesn't have to be invincible. He just has to be the kind of... Uh, he just has to continue being kind of outrageous. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not even I, I- really a question of, of the record. I mean, the record was great. You know, there's a kind of a... There's a magical aura to winning all your fights, which is gone and, and evaporates instantly. It's gone. It can't, it can't come back. But that's not necessarily just the real... Oh, here's this guy who never loses. It's not just about never losing you know it's also about uh the kind of person people it's think you're right, the people, kind of spectacle that, that people know you're But it's give about them.
0: people believing your message too?
2: I back it up. I back it up and and now there's always going to be this you know there's it's the fact is that he's lost in a in a in a big way. I mean it was it wasn't it was a really it was this it was a uh, conclusive you know what mm. i mean it wasn't the case of Oh, there was a little. It was a little bit controversial. I mean, you he, he said that he didn't make excuses, and I mean, he didn't. He said he was going to take it like a man at all. I noticed the first thing that he said in the octagon, uh, as they as he was being interviewed immediately after the fight, was the very first thing he referred to was "I took a chance coming up to this weight." Now, it's that I thought that was interesting. Uh, nobody really beforehand was thinking of it in terms of it being a chance. I mean, he was fighting against a guy who effectively is. Who, who fights at, at lightweight? You know what I mean. He, who himself didn't do a weight cut. They both essentially agreed, okay, we'll fight at welterweight. But realistically, Nate Diaz would fight at lightweight, um, which is which is the weight class Connor wanted. Connor McGregor wanted to fight in, and uh, that was really the one in which he seemed to feel he would be more comfortable in. That that what rather than this really brutal cut down to one hundred and forty-five pounds, uh, where he, he's then fighting in a weight class where he's bigger. Than most of the guys in in that category, right? The first thing he said was, "I've I've taken a chance." I didn't think he was taking a chance. I mean, most people didn't. Because- Compared to
4: the chance Nate Diaz took, he wasn't taking much of a chance. Yeah, well, Nate Diaz,
2: well, Nate Diaz kind of had a, had a bit of a, it was a shot to nothing. A, yeah, yeah, and and it was like, you know, okay, he's he's obviously disadvantaged the chan- in sorry, the preparation the, sense. Yeah,
4: the, the chance to win the fight. I mean, mm. you know, the, Conor McGregor had a much better chance to win that fight than. Than Nate Diaz well, on 11 days training, you would
5: have thought.
2: You would have thought. I mean, and we all did think that. I mean, everybody thought. I certainly thought McGregor was going to win right up until, right up until the point in the second round when it looked as though, hang on, this is not really going as he would have wanted. I mean, up till then, even looking at Diaz coming in, I thought this guy, is, you know, looks very sacrificial here. You know, this whole thing. I mean, I was just on the the sort of bullshit hype express. As much as anybody mm-hmm. was, but you know, I, I'm just a, I'm just an idiot in, in the crowd sort of watching this. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a pleb. I don't know really understand the sport. What I want to know is who, 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 who are the people in Conor McGregor's immediate circle who are talking to him, who are giving him advice? It strikes me that he risked a lot to gain very little, and ended up losing a lot. And it was it was foolish. It was foolhardy to do this. To the, you know, they they to pit him against this guy. Diaz, who, you know, okay, they could be in the same, uh, ultimately the same white class. I mean, afterwards, they were kind of making the point, well, he's a much bigger guy, welterweight and so on. But they realistically could both be in the lightweight uh, category. Was he prepared to, to fight against a guy like this? Uh, what, what was the need to, to put him against an opponent that could be that dangerous? at this point in his career, given how well, well everything had would be going.
0: I think, I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like, we also have to, I think people should bear in mind as well that this Nate Diaz guy isn't some sort of master of his craft either. He lost three of his previous five fights, 10 losses uh, and 18 wins was his record in MMA. And he looked pretty out of shape regardless of having no training camp, he looked like an out-of-shape fighter, you know? So I think, I think with McGregor, he's been a, a phenomenal promoter of himself and a sport, and he's funny and he's engaging and people want to watch him, people want to hear him speak. He's got something that you're immediately drawn to. And he made me laugh several times in the build-up to this oh, last yeah. week. But, and he's obviously brilliant at what he does. He's an Irish man who's achieving, you know, something incredible at his own game, um, and something that, an, you know, an Irishman's never been in that position before, but he's clearly not the athletic genius of our time that he purports to being and that a lot of his followers think he is. Uh, no. he, was so, he was extremely limited in that fight. Uh, as soon as some pressure was put on him, um, he seemed to back down. He, he had this message that he was putting in his fight uh, all fight week that he'll go all day. I'll do this all day. I'll go all day. Mm. As soon as a bit of pressure was put on him he he It almost seemed like he wanted to crumble you know when a mm. bit of pressure was put on him by Nate Diaz, and he took that knee to the chest and then there was more pressure on he went he brought it down to the ground and he seemed like he wanted out of there yeah so and you know his his even his his punching I mean, he landed with a lot of clean strikes, a lot of big left hands, but they 're very basic strike it was very basic punching, very basic boxing mm. there was nothing exceptional there
2: no i mean. It, it it was it was strange because there was a couple of strange things about it. I mean, what you're saying about the the limited nature, what he was doing was so was very basic. Uh, there was no there was not really any variation. I think first of all, it's he evidently was shocked psychologically by the fact that hang on, this guy hasn't gone down. I've hit him several times, and it doesn't seem to be having any impact. He just kind of he's just sort of shaking it off. There's blood pumping from his face. But nothing seems to be happening here. And that, and every single previous fight that he'd had in uh, this organization, the first serious punch that he's connected with has effectively ended the fight. And in this fight, exactly the opposite happened. He gets hit with the exactly the type of punch, in fact, that he's been using to to, to win all his fights. He got hit with one of those, and he couldn't recover. And you could see from that point on, he was staggering, his legs are, are jelly, you know, he's he's not able to... To counter, he's not able to. He was getting steadily from that point. He's getting overwhelmed. It was it was amazing. I, he, he was speaking afterwards about energy efficiency. This is something that he that he started mm. to talk about. If it, he was efficient with his energy, I wasn't. I thought to myself, that was the second round of a five round fight. That fight could have gone five rounds. How can you be talking about energy efficiency mm. after fighting for nine minutes? That energy should not be. A fact, you know, it could be the case that he'd rather talk about energy efficiency, you know, put it down to that rather than the fact that the truth is he was seeing stars at that point. You know, he'd been he'd been beaten up. You know, he'd he'd been he was about to get a TKO. You know what I mean? It wasn't that he was necessarily tired. It was it was that he was semi concussed. You know what I mean? Maybe that's a more difficult thing to admit to than this idea that I've run out of energy. But if you're talking about running out of energy in the second round of a five round fight, I think, I think that's crazy. What kind of conditioning is that? Mm. What would like, Maurizio Pochettino say about this guy? You know <laughs> what I mean? What was going to happen if that fight had gone to a third round? If energy is a, is a factor at that stage? I thought that was amazing. Now, again, you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm an expert on conditioning, especially as a applies to fighting but I found it amazing if you're supposed to be fighting or if, if there's a possibility of being in a fight they can go five rounds you should not be uh, even admitting to the idea that you could be tired after two that's crazy to me
0: well I think that's also you're talking about the third round midway through the third round in a boxing match in a, in a world title boxing match when you think about the what's expected of fighters when they're, when they're uh, uh, involved in an elite fight like that. But also, I think th- I think the basic, one of the basic issues here is that he completely underestimated what happens when you fight a man that's much bigger than you and his ability to absorb your punches. Mm. And also, that uh, how <laughs> impactful his own punches are on you. It's a
4: really basic fact. difference
2: between a, sh- a shorter and a taller man.
4: Yes, exactly. And a heavier and a lighter man, more to the point, I think, really. That, you know, if, if the guy punching you is heavier than the guys that have been punching you in the past, that's Got it. That's gonna have to make. That's gonna make a difference, mm. and you have to be ready for that difference. And the second Diaz landed a punch that actually had a bit of meat behind it, McGregor seemed shocked out of his mind. When really, that's what he he had to be expecting.
2: Well, it was a very precise punch. In fairness, it was it caught him right in the jaw, in exactly the place where he, for instance, had had caught Jose Aldo uh, and Chad Mendes. You know, and you'd seen them go down immediately. And McGregor didn't go down immediately, but he was. You know that was that was really that was a crucial moment in the fight. But I mean, what can you explain why that is? Like, what's the difference? I mean, it's not they they weighed roughly about the same. Uh, You know, uh, Diaz is is three inches taller. Yeah, but he's obviously longer, uh, longer arms. uh, You know, bigger a bigger frame. But in terms of weight, they were about the same.
0: No, what I'm talking about is comparatively uh, when it comes to his last fight and to this fight and what he expected Mm. and what he expected to happen when he landed big shots. And obviously, the effect that uh, the, your punches will have on a, a larger man are far different than they would when you're naturally. Mac, Conor McGregor is naturally that size. He's not naturally 145 pounds. Yeah. He's not naturally a featherweight. Those lads he was fighting who were featherweight were often naturally featherweights. So when he goes up and he's, he goes up to his natural uh, size and fights men who are naturally bigger, then yeah. his effect the, on the punches that he lands won't have the same effect.
2: And I think this whole idea of. Uh, the the impact of actually seeing his best shots not work in the way that they'd always worked. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing maybe to get your head around. It's like, it's maybe more demoralizing for someone who has always seen this punch work. Suddenly when it doesn't, I think that's much more shocking than if it only sometimes works. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, my magic doesn't work. What am I going to do? And rather than really mix it up, this is this is the other interesting thing for me. He didn't change his approach. He just kept sort of trying to do the same thing, and you could almost see Diaz go. Okay, this is what you're going to do. I almost don't have to worry about anything else. You know, it was to to watch that unfold. There was a, there was a lot of things I think that went wrong, and you could look at it from his physical conditioning point of view, his tactics, his his attitude, whether he was overconfident or not. Um, and in each area of those, you you would you would find maybe things that could have been done better, or maybe he's going to have to work
0: on. Well I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate both Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor for a world record they attained during UFC 196 Fight Week actually lads. Go on. This is for the dumbest exchange between sports stars of all time. This was on Fox on that sort of split screen setup that they do and the presenters have actually thanked the fighters at the end of the interview here but the cameras kept rolling and the mics are still up and Diaz and McGregor keep on slagging each other. The McGregor here has some angry words about Diaz's hometown of Stockton.
1: Full of snitches in Stockton. Mm-hmm. Never, never heard of Stockton in my life. Yeah. Canaries in, in Stockton, yeah? Sing like little gazelle, canaries I here. You calling people gazelles too. You got the weakest, <clears throat> lamest. I'm just looking at your little frame. Yeah. And it just reminds me of an injured gazelle. Yeah. Strapped up. People don't Take know what that, top off. Take no top off. what that means. It's Take your top off. No one knows what that means, America. Take your top off. Take your top off. You little fat skinny <laughs> Yeah,
4: right, no one knows what gazelle is anyway. It's American <laughs> Get it right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thanks, fellas.
2: <laughs> this is America get it right you just can't what can you say to that you just yeah. there's just nothing you can say yeah. it's like the, the verbal the verbal's just bounced off it's, Diaz yeah it's not exactly like yeah, the punches. yeah
4: it's not exactly uh, dinner time at the Kennedys alright <laughs> <laughs>
2: but look I mean that was uh, that was pretty funny but you know like he's, he's talking about Diaz's condition there you know and, and it was obvious you know when they stepped in McGregor he looks way more ripped he looks way better and this means nothing. Means nothing. I mean, there was the, there's a you know Sage Northcutt is this other big you know the up and comer American up and comer in the UFC. Honestly, I've never seen anyone as ripped. Right? It's it's hard to he is literally computer game, not even current computer game. I mean, say uh, early two thousands or late nineties Sega ridiculous ripped you know physique before they learned how to uh, how to portray it realistically. And he's up against. Uh, this guy, Brian Barbarina, who literally has a paunch. You know what I mean? A, 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 a sagging chest, not unlike my own, and a paunch, a, a skinny yet flabby paunch hanging over his shorts, who finishes him in short order. You know what I mean? It just doesn't it doesn't matter. There's something else going on. You can't judge them by the, the way that they look. I mean, maybe that's a... Uh, McGregor should know that already, but if he if he didn't before he does now.
0: Richie Sadlier's Leicester continue to confuse and lead the charge in the Premier League. More of that in the football show. But the Leicester City of the Pro twelve is of course Conock Murph. Of course. Bundiaki in the Jimmy Vardy role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk. Go on. We'll talk today about Connacht. Yeah. That's there? all I got. That's all Who's I Demar- got
4: there. All Brad did this. Uh, no, of course it's Matt Healy. i, yeah, I pretend yeah. this
0: We'll talk today about how Connacht have brought about this extraordinary run of success and really good rugby too, and we'll also talk about the Tralee finger bending, nose busting schmozzle between Kerry and Donegal. But right now we're going to cross over to Vegas and get the US perspective on this. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the
5: roulette wheel, a fortune won and lost on every deal.
3: All you need is a strong heart and a nerve steel. Viva, Viva,
2: Thanks a lot, Pepe Viva,
3: Go ahead, ask for
2: Yes, sir their new world featherweight of the championship Godfrey McGregor
0: Yay, still world featherweight of the championship And Jeremy Butler of the Bleacher Report is one of the top MMA, vo- MMA voices out there And joins us from Las Vegas now Jeremy, were the US reporters at ringside as shocked by this defeat as McGregor's Irish fans were?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know if we're—I would say—as shocked. Um, Nate Diaz was always a tough opponent; was always going to be a tough, you know, matchup. I mean, I, honestly, I thought that it was a pretty good style matchup for Conor McGregor. What I didn't bank on was that he was going to go out there and, and punch himself out. Um, I don't think he was used to the weight. Um, he tried way too hard, and I think he really believed in his one-shot knockout power, which really didn't translate against Nate Diaz.
0: Yeah, after McGregor's last fight against Aldo, you described him as the smartest fighter in the sport. I'm wondering, do you stand by that after Saturday night?
3: I still do. I mean, clearly we all make mistakes. Um, Conor went in with a with a ton of self-belief into the octagon and believed, as I said, in his power. And, you know, and he thought that he could go in, use the left hand, knock out Nate Diaz just the way he has everybody else. Um, and it didn't work, and yet he kept flailing for it. Uh, but that said, that doesn't take away from his intelligence. This Look, he was fighting at 170 pounds, 168 pounds is what he weighed in at, two weight classes above what he's normally fighting at. He was fighting a guy on late notice. I, I don't think this hurts Conor McGregor, um, and no, I still consider him to be the smartest fighter in the game.
0: Do you feel somebody should have stepped in and said, listen, things have been going great so far, we're ruling the roost here at 145." Uh, you know we can we can step up to to lightweight if needs be but really going up to 170 should somebody just have stepped in and said listen let's take our time here
3: well i mean they can try but who's gonna let li- do you think he's gonna listen to him i mean after all everything that he's promised and then executed on everything the guy has said until last night has come true uh, i think he earned the right to call his own shot and i, I don't th- Think anybody around him is going to tell him that he can't do something when he believes he can. And honestly, I gave him a pretty good. I mean, I thought he was going to smoke Nate Diaz, and I thought yeah. he would beat Robbie Lawler at UFC 200. Uh, clearly, uh, though, the size difference is, is probably a little bit too great. I, I'm not saying that he can't compete at Welterweight, um, but if he believes he can, I mean, I, the day is probably still going to come when he. He even said it last night. He said 155 pounds is still an option. 170 pounds is still an option. I think you're still going to see him try again uh, because he has to try. And when you've been as successful as Conor McGregor has, who can say no to him? Who can stop him? I don't think anybody can.
1: But
0: Jeremy, after a performance like that on Saturday night, what gives you? um, What puts in your head the logic that he can beat those sort of bigger size welterweights that you mentioned?
3: Well, I, I don't know that I can. So last night, I mean, and he said it himself, he fought, he did not fight as smart as he usually does. He usually goes in, picks his shots, conserves his energy. He didn't do that against Nate Diaz. He was flailing with the left hand in a way that we've never seen before, burning himself out. And when you go in there, I think he realizes now, when you go in there as a smaller man against a bigger guy, they're going to be able to take your shots better than the smaller people that you've been fighting. Um, that said, he's still got a lot of power. Look at Nate Diaz's face. Nate looked like he'd been in a car wreck after the fight. I mean, I, I think Conor still has the power to put guys away at that division and in that weight class, but I think he has to be smarter. He's got to be more selective, pick his shots more carefully. I think he can get it done. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be an instant champion like I was – Two days ago, uh, but I think he still has a pretty good shot.
0: We've been discussing this unconventional training regime of Ido Portal here in studio. All the work in the rings, jumping over sticks, etc. Are there questions now about how this actually prepares you for a serious fight? Because not only was McGregor, not only did he seem to tire rapidly, but uh, he seemed to have problems with punch resistance as well.
3: It's funny because I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of blame is going to be placed on Ido Portal, and you know, I mean, look, I. I Movement is good, right? Being physical is good. Uh, I, I don't know that I believe in a movement coach. And to be frank, I think some of the stuff he does look pretty looks pretty silly and stupid at times. And I think a lot of people think that. Um, but it, if Conor believes it works for him, then it works for him. And I don't think that had anything to do with last night. What you saw last night was not movement. What you saw was a man who went in believing that he could knock out Nate Diaz with one punch, two punches. And when he couldn't get it done, he just kept repeatedly going for it. Uh, I don't think movement has anything to do with that. I don't think any blame can be placed anywhere except for Connor McGregor. I, one thing I will say, though, if, if you're listening to the corner feed, um, the audio from last night, when, when Nate rocked Connor the first time, his corner went silent. Nobody really said anything. Mm. I mean, and maybe their mics went like just – Dramatically went off at that moment, but I don't think so. I just don't think he got the advice he needs. But nothing, I don't think anything about last night, I don't think any of the blame can be placed on anybody except for Connor. And I, and I think he realizes that. And one of the things that really impressed me the most uh, was his willingness to be humble to accept defeat to actually one of the things that I love that he said was that he's going to celebrate it because adversity is something you celebrate because it helps you grow. Um, I was very, very impressed by that. Uh, You know, he accepts the blame fully and, and, and that's where it should lie.
0: Yeah, we'll come back to what happens next for McGregor shortly. But just on the end of the fight itself, I'm interested to know more about the culture and mixed martial arts of tapping out. Uh, We saw McGregor pretty rapidly tap as soon as he was in the rear naked choke. But in the support bout previous to that, uh, and she spoke about it afterwards, we saw Holly Holm hold on until she was unconscious. And in the press conference, she said that she, rather than submit, she wanted to go out like a champion. Now, McGregor spoke to Esquire about uh, tapping out in a fight in 2010 and said, that ate me alive after that. I said I was going to fight to the death. You're going to have to kill me. Um, is this something that's looked upon as quitting by other fighters in in uh, the UFC? Do fighters lose respect in, in going out in, in, a, in a manner
3: like that? I mean, it might be looked down upon by other fighters, but look, that's I, I mean, I've said this repeatedly since last night. That is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in mixed martial arts. If you are caught and if you are going to lose the fight, there is no reason for you to go unconscious. No reason whatsoever. You got caught. We already know you're losing. Proving your toughness by allowing yourself to be force unconscious? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's like, it's only in MMA where stupid things like this kind of get caught on by fans and, and, and propagated and like, repurposed and used continually. And it's stupid, and I think it should stop. Nobody should look down upon Conor McGregor for tapping out. He knew he was finished, he did the smart thing, and he tapped out. Do you think there's a
0: chance uh, UFC president Dana White could feel pretty happy about this result?
3: Uh, you know, I'm going to have to say no comment on that because every time I talk about this, uh, that people get angry with me, you know, but I, I, I don't think that he's happy. I think that, I mean, as he said on Fox sports one afterwards, after the, the fight ended, uh, the plan was to do Connor and Robbie Lawler at UFC 200. Mm. That would have been a huge fight. And now that's out the window, but look, you still get. You still get Conor McGregor, Frankie Edgar. You still will likely get Conor McGregor and Rafael Dos Anjos at some point. And then now you have a rematch between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, maybe at 155 pounds for that championship down the line. I, I mean, it looks bad on the surface. And yes, they lost a couple of big money fights for this summer last night, but they gained some more down the road. And I think that's, you know, I think the, the, the people at the UFC are pretty smart. I think they understand that.
0: Could you explain why you get into trouble by commenting
3: on Dana White and McGregor? <laughs> no, I can't. I'd prefer not to. Thank you. Uh,
0: and is, is, I think just the 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 issue with it is that what struck me just on, on, on um, you know, Dana's influence. And obviously, you know, you don't have to expand in any way that you're not comfortable with. But it just struck me afterwards when uh, Misha Tate, who's now the, the the women's champion after beating Holly Holm, she was discussing uh, what her next step would be. And she said basically she um, she'd do as she's told. And it was something that was almost, uh, Nate Diaz reflected something similar, not as quite as clearly as, as Misha Tate. But it does seem that the other UFC, UFC fighters do exactly as is told by Dana White uh, and the bosses there, whereas McGregor has a little bit of a different view on things.
3: It's not just a different view, man. Look, you got me. <laughs> I'll expand on it. I mean, look, Conor McGregor has more power than any fighter has ever had. And last night doesn't change that. Conor McGregor is still a giant star. His Mm -hmm. next fight's going to be huge because people love a redemption story. The fact that he went out there last night and was humble, I mean, I think that earned him a lot of respect, not just in Ireland. When I was in Dublin a year ago, I mean, I I was struck by how many older people, you know, 40 years and older, 35 years and older, really didn't like Conor because of the arrogance and the disrespectful way that he carries himself. And I think he probably changed a lot of minds last night. But the fact remains is this guy has a lot of power, a lot of influence. He got the first $1 million uh, disclosed payday last night, which has never, never, ever happened in the UFC. Not only does he have a lot of power, he's also a fighter who's not afraid to use it. He's not a guy who's going to say, I'll sit down with Dana and then whatever they want to do, I'll do. No, he he knows what he wants. He's going to demand it. As long as he wins most of his fights, he's going to keep getting it. And the UFC may not like that. and It may not set a good precedent for... There are other athletes going forward, but what choice do they have? This guy's the most popular guy in the sport, becoming a crossover mainstream star around the world. They'd be really, really dumb to let him go, and I don't think they're that dumb.
0: So what does this loss do to his bargaining strength and his earning capacity? Can he still dictate terms to them, do you think?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for now he can. If he goes in and loses a couple more fights in a row, then maybe things change, but no, he he saved a pay-per-view last night. Not only did he save a pay-per-view, but he did a pay-per-view... Um, it's said the pay-per-view that's going to end up doing well over a million pay-per-view buys from what I understand. Uh, they still owe him, you know, he did not have to take this fight with Nate Diaz on a week and a half notice. He could have just bowed out, waited for UFC 200, but he didn't, you know, he didn't do what John Jones did and, and forced the cancellation of, a, of an entire pay-per-view. He stepped up as he always does four times in his UFC career. He's had a late notice replacement opponent. Every single time he stepped up and accepted it, they still owe him big time. You know, for now, he's still in control.
0: Talk to us about the reac- reaction of the rest of the sport and U.S. fans to seeing him lose. There seemed to be a
3: bit of glee there as well, was there? Yeah, well, I mean, th- there always is because I-, I don't know if it's... I think it's the same way in sports in general. That uh, People love seeing people get their comeuppance. They just do. You know, they-, they love seeing that. They love... It's not just seeing the underdog. I mean, and Nate Diaz is a different kind of underdog because he has a very, very loyal following, a very rabid following. When people say they are a fan of the Diaz brothers, they are a fan, man. Like they are like hardcore devoted to these guys. And so I think that was part of it. But I mean, as I said, the other part, people just, people like seeing people fail for some reason. We live in a really weird time now where that's kind of the norm. Um, No matter how strange it is, that's just the way it is.
0: Okay, Jeremy, thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, man. Appreciate it jeremy displaying a serious resistance ken on the part of mma journalists uh, there to give dana white a hard time
2: yeah um, they
0: have some, some previous right murph uh, a little bit of that um what was the tweet that uh,
4: that uh, dana white uh, some weirdo journalist is talking nonsense. <laughs> journalist in uh, inverted commas of course yeah um talking nonsense um and that was for suggesting that uh, the relationship between connor and uh, dana was not all that it seemed.
2: Strained, perhaps, by Conor McGregor's uh, insistence on maybe eventually getting more money out of this thing than uh, Dana White himself. I can't imagine why Dana might have had a problem with that.
4: This weirdo journalist, in quotation marks, keeps putting out bullshit about me and Conor. I have no issues with Conor whatsoever. Scumbags.
2: Look at Scumbags. Looking
4: for
5: clicks.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you think Dana White will be a little bit happy?
2: Well, it, it's, you know, you got to separate from the, the business from the personal here. I think uh, in a business sense probably not no, uh because maybe it endangers you know or or, or shrinks his, his golden goose a little bit you know uh, on the other hand maybe it doesn't you know maybe uh depending on who they can get mcgregor to fight next they can hype it in such a way that it that attracts more bias. I mean, the, the thing the thing that would be really damaging is if McGregor. Actually, this is the next one because mm. then then you know that's it. But if
0: he's a valid ex- uh, size excuse to go with until the time comes when he gets beaten again, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of whether whether Dana White would be pleased that Conor McGregor was taken down maybe a peg or two and isn't quite kind of going around going I own this company, I am the company. I'm sure there's I'm sure that there's a part of Dana White gets a little bit annoyed when he hears Conor McGregor speaking that way. So if if he hears a little bit less of that, then okay. I'm sure he could live with that. And if McGregor's uh, commercial appeal is not affected too much. I mean, the commercial appeal is huge. You know, we don't know yet what the uh, pay-per-view buys were for for the thing last night. Dana White said, it's breaking every record we have, guys. Now, it hadn't broken the gate uh, record or the attendance record, so they're the only two records we, we knew about, so it hadn't broken those. Uh, on the other hand, uh, McGregor's last two fights against Mendez and Aldo have had more than 2 million buys between the 1.2 million for Aldo, 850,000 for Mendes. They're pretty big numbers. If he was to get again over uh, a million then that would be, you know, his last two fights getting over a million whites. They've only had nine in their history that got more than a million pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So, so two, and uh, to have three in their last five events, including the the Rousey one, which also got over a million, that would be, that's a good business time for the UFC. It's obviously, obviously suits them to have a star on this scale. If the star is a little bit big for his boots, well, then maybe that's a problem with having a really big star. You know, so there's good and bad about him for from whites' point of view. Just want to mention one thing Jeremy said, uh, just on this issue of tapping out, uh, which is something that uh, I was tweeting about on this, because I was struck immediately by the fact that uh, Holly Holm clearly lost consciousness. Her hands, you could see her hands flop to the canvas, and the referee saying, That's it, no, no, uh, and, and sort of dragging Misha Tate away. That's what she did. Whereas McGregor, when he was, you know, putting it into the choke, he tapped pretty quick. Now, the only reason that that to me, was worthy of comment was the fact that I remembered him saying in an interview uh, that he did in Esquire with Chris Jones. Yeah, he
0: referred to that with Jeremy.
2: Yeah, Um uh, but Jeremy was saying, you know, this is the dumbest thing ever. Now I absolutely agree that it's 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 dumb to suggest that somebody should uh somebody should it, once they're in a rear naked shot like that. No, they can't get out. Know that the blood to their brain is being cut off. Literally, that's what's happening. It is crazy to suggest and, and dumb to suggest that that person should, out of some kind of Spartan ideal of pride, not tap but rather wait until the blood flow is choked off to the point where they lose consciousness. I think it is crazy. However, the person who said that was Conor McGregor. Right, he was the one. He was he was he was the one who introduced this idea. It ate me alive, he says, of the fact that he. Uh, tapped out when when Joe Duffy had him in a similar position you know five years ago, it ate me alive after that, I said I was going to fight to the death you 're going to have to kill me so that 's mcgregor that 's I suppose an example of the sort of bluster that creates a personality. That manages to sell two million. Of course, but this whole thing's a business
0: personality. Like, let's be honest about it. The whole thing is about Conor McGregor's ability to promote himself. His ability to talk. It's not about this depth of knowledge that people have about his his MMA abilities or his you know the history of the UFC or uh, or anything like that. or How he compares to previous fighters. It's the fact that he talks nonsense and he's funny and people buy it up and that's probably why losing like this against a mediocre fighter with not a great degree of skill the the whole spectacle didn't to me, it didn't seem like it was, a, you know, an amazing sporting spectacle by any means. Mm. It, it was pretty regimented fighting. It yeah. wasn't particularly impressive. But like the fact of the matter is that people are still going to um, people are still going to listen to this podcast to hear about McGregor. They're still going to uh, watch his next fight. There's are still going to be big, big pay per views for his next fight. And it's not about his sporting ability.
2: Yeah. Um, well, sporting ability is difficult to judge, and no one's really sure how important it is. Uh, if you have a contest, maybe it's maybe that's more entertaining than the exact level or the technical level of that contest. I must say, I did notice. You know, when I when I mentioned this, there was loads of people then on Twitter who were saying, "Oh, you know, who are you to call McGregor a pussy?" You know, this is, um, God, Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who have a very who have a really all-encompassing definition of trolling, and trolling is basically anything they don't agree with. You know what I mean? And and anything that they don't agree with is automatically a cheap shot and disrespectful. It's not, it's simply, you know, a factual... Reference. Oh, you know, well, it's interesting he tapped out. He said that. Chris Jones, the, the writer of the interview, said to me that he was surprised... He said he he was really vehement on that point. He was honestly surprised when he saw it. And he I, I noticed that he also noticed it at the time he was at the fight. And we'll be writing about it, I guess, in a forthcoming edition of Esquire.
0: Well, uh, as Jeremy said, he said you'd have to be an idiot to refuse to tap and go to tap and go unconscious, Murph. Uh, will I tell you someone else who disagrees with him? As well as the previous Conor McGregor? Okay, yeah, go on then. <laughs> this is big Tyson Fury, Murph. He's oh, waded in I, on this. Yes, I saw these. Yeah, very good. His tweet, The fighting pride of Ireland would not have tapped out so easy at Notorious MMA. I would have went sleep first. There can only be one Tyson Fury. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? That Tyson Tyson Fury's tweet to uh, Conor McGregor. I honestly do believe that Tyson Fury would never, ever tap out. He'd sooner be decapitated. His head would be rolling out of the Mm. octagon before Big Tyson would tap out and give up. Maybe
4: maybe his hand might spasm what would have, what what would the head having been taken off his body? Who knows how his
0: hands might react to that. Ken, who's tapping out quicker uh, in a... UFC fighting the octagon. Murph or
2: against Murph. Murph? definitely.
0: So
4: quick, Ken? Oh,
2: there's no, no doubt about that it. That is
0: almost as quick as
2: the tap that I would
0: most assuredly
4: <laughs> do in the octagon. Before my opponent had even arrived in the octagon. The
2: budgie heart. The, you can see the, the budgie logo emblazoned on your shorts. Mm.
0: Ken is, of course, more of a stand-up fighter. Murph, he just does those somersault wheel kicks that McGregor does the whole time. No need yeah. to go to the ground at all. He'd yeah. never be put in that position. No, no, no.
2: Yeah. No, I I must say I did enjoy the fight. I thought it was really exciting. I mean, you know, it looked as... I I thought McGregor was going to eventually win because ultimately I didn't think Diaz really had that much about him. It looked as though he was just going to stand there getting pummeled until eventually he was overpowered. And then suddenly one punch can change the whole thing.
4: (laughs) It is kind of weird that we've seen these two uh, once-in-a-generation athletes. Uh, The two once-in-a-generation athletes in the UFC as of December 1st, 2015, have both suffered... Like pretty humiliating defeats, and it kind of seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of talk about how you know this might actually happen. Yeah. Uh, as opposed, all it, all it ever was was, well, I just can't ever see you guys.
2: There is, be- one, there is one thing you do have to say though, and in you know, and it is a point that's often made against the UFC and against this sport in general. I saw, for instance, Dave Hannigan writing about it again. I mean, I know Dave's mm. written a couple of articles on this team, but basically saying, you know, look at this—they they put up this Turkey Diaz. You know, he's a nobody. It's clearly, it's just cannon fodder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That wasn't the case. You know what I mean? It isn't as predictable. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of ways you can criticize it. And we've spoken about them before and written about them before, but. That is not really, that criticism doesn't really stand up. Things, real things do happen. Unexpected things do happen. It's not as though the organizers really have, really can have any certainty about Mm. planning for the long term because these kinds of upsets happen. And, uh, you know, Diaz, I guess, wasn't much of a turkey as, as we all Thought he was. We, I mean, we. I, I say we. I mean, I mean me, and I guess plenty of other people. All most of the people who were betting on the fight for a start, all just believed what McGregor was saying. You know, this is going to be easy. We're going to. Um the
4: difference between top and bottom is not quite as big as. Uh as anyone, it appears, thought.
2: It shows the, the influence the charismatic personality can have. I mean, how persuasive it can be when somebody has a record like that behind them and says things with a lot of mm. conviction. Then it, every that's, that's, everybody that's, suddenly starts believing in magical thinking and, and kind of forgetting all their critical faculties. Oh, you know, of course he'll beat that
1: lot Well, I
0: also think that's an issue in some ways with McGregor and that I don't think he puts out a great message to young men either. You know, sex, success is based on having money, possessions, things like that. So in in light of that promoting a fight, that's okay, you know, if you're selling yourself like that. But I I would be concerned that a lot of young men actually don't know the difference between promoting a fight and what it, their, his actual and belief selling system is. Selling lifestyle. And, absolutely, selling a lifestyle. and absolutely. that's not a nice message to put out, I don't
2: think. I mean, Jesus, like, the, the, this is my biggest problem with him. And to be fair, this isn't, this isn't really something which, is, which he has done. It's the problem with the way the world, uh, the, way that, the way that Ireland, anyway, kind no, of... No, it's
0: the world. It's the, look at how many people are buy up his kind of... The, the jock mentality in, on the west coast you know it's perfect for California that sort of that sort of mentality people love him over there
2: yeah I mean to to be honest this this I think it's the it, it's not it is partly to do with the way that he goes on and you know his the kind of videos and the cars and you know all this kind of spending bullshit you know um, that's that's him sort of putting out an image and then there's a bit of a problem with the way people react to that I'm afraid you get people who are credulous people who can't think. I mean, I just worry about these people who honestly think all you need to succeed in life is self-belief, believe that you can be great and you will be great. That's not the way the world is. Anybody who really believes that, anybody who really thinks that way is delusional, is fooling themselves, and the world is going to be a confusing place for them, a confusing and difficult place. I mean, maybe there aren't really that many people out there. Maybe my concern is, is misplaced, you know, but everybody out there needs to learn how to think a little bit harder about these sorts of things, and, you know, uh, if they can take anything out of that fight it's that sometimes simply wanting something and believing it's going to go your way doesn't mean that it's always going to go your way
0: Murph, how many bad gags in some way comparing what happened between Kerry and Donegal to a Conor McGregor oh. fight were made by old oh. lads leaving the ground in <laughs> so I they- would say that the ratio is about one to one uh, I would say
4: literally every single person made a rather foolhardy Conor McGregor reference it was pretty it was pretty filthy um Uh, It was certainly a step up from any of the other league games I've seen in intensity um, uh, so far this year. I don't know, for whatever reason, that the leagues have failed to grab anyone's attention Mm. this year to any major degree. Um, But it was, I mean, it was, you, you kind of think, right, there are teams that have histories there. And Kerry and Donegal, you wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been the first pairing that you would have come up with before the league started, say, to say, right, if there's one game that's bound to degenerate into sort of uh, uh, a rolling brawl over the course of 75 minutes or so, you wouldn't really have said that Kerry and Done- Donegal was that game. But
0: oh, I think it's any any team in that top four. There's going to be a massive rivalry there, surely. Rivalry, yes,
4: but not the the sort of bitterness one. and antagonism that we saw yesterday. But for, basically, from the minute that Kieran Donaghy body-slammed Cusul Le McGregor as a lot of our Kerry friends probably were saying in the crowd um, uh, from when he kind of body slammed Michael Murphy in the middle of the field inside the first five minutes or so there was there was just a real edge to it and uh, the sending off of Alan Fitzgerald efforts obviously exacerbated that uh, uh, provoked in whatever way. Well, in the Irish Ni- Times
0: today, the carry attacker suggested to the officials that his fingers had been interfered with by McGee. <laughs> yeah, and that's certainly not nail that, polish.
4: No, the, that's certainly what the picture suggested. All right, um, and uh, you know it's been suggested he didn't have any other choice uh, but to punch uh, Neil McGee uh, <laughs> numerous times to release that grip well, from his fingers. The only
0: thing is, it depends. I'm not saying Neil McGee. Was was doing this, or was mm. trying to break the man's fingers? But if <laughs> if you're in extreme amounts of pain, Murph, and you felt that that could be on the cards, mm. I think you'd do anything to release yourself from that.
4: Yeah, I I, I think so. You know, I I, I do, I'm I'm not entirely sure that there, that he had. And maybe a punch in the elbow. I mean, if you could, if such an uh, if such a punch presented itself, if, if there was the angles presented such a thing, the geometry of that particular situation uh, presented that opportunity. Then maybe. But other than that, uh, but then from then on, it was. Like, the football was not very good. I mean, it was not a very good game of football. Um, just free laden. But I mean, it was kind of grimly fascinating. And I think Kerry kind of got exactly what they wanted out of it. Um, and I'm not saying that they wanted the, the 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 game to degenerate to that. But at the same time, they seemed pretty happy with how it, it, you know, what we'll read over the next couple of days is Donegal, you know, they're at it again. You know, the, what's the common denominator in all of these games? I'm kind of thinking, well, Donegal are happy to play it any way you want, you know? Kerry were posed a very specific set of questions by Donegal yesterday, and they came through it, and they won. And if you ask Kerry people today, hmm, deep down, I think they're pretty happy with how that game went, and they can very definitely overlook the couple of black cards and the red cards.
0: Lots of what is being reported today is that the referee went in to speak to both camps at halftime to try Mm. and calm things down. Did that have any impact at all? (laughs) I think the ship had sailed at that stage. I
4: mean the managers were called in to speak to the referee. Now, I think by half time the players had gotten it into their heads that this game was going to go a certain way and that the only the only way you could turn that game around is to actually not is to step away from the 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 sort of the constant brawling or whatever. And Donegal are not going to do that and Kerry definitely aren't going to do aren't going to do it at home against Donegal who will always throw down a physical uh, marker to you anyway so I mean you can talk to the managers all you like at that stage the players had it in their heads that the game was only going to go one way
0: I saw a hot shot. Hamish scored again
4: hot Michael shot Murphy Michael he Murphy, honestly
0: nearly burst the that it was hilarious I with, know, that, yeah. with that goal
4: I mean you're four yards out I mean you could probably have slipped it under the keeper but he selects power drive <laughs> all
0: the time Mark that's just what he does Ken before we move on tell us what's in today's football show that's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for
2: that, really. Oh, you can laugh, I need to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You well, don't know what you're talking about.
5: What
3: if you want? i like to stay alive with oh, six right. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me. I'm down to our and we'll see them What you what you're doing down here, you're showing man. <laughs>
2: Well, we talked a bit about the takeover at Everton. We talked a bit about Stephen Claren, He's probably going to get sacked, according to various uh, journalists uh, today. And we talked a lot about football generally. We didn't find a way to talk about Conor McGregor or anything. I no. couldn't find a way to crowbar him no, in there. No,
0: we we we
4: kept it, you know, kept uh, it, it homogenous,
2: mm. you know. So that's uh, that's really what you'll get.
0: Okay, Jerry Thorny joins us in studio now. How are you doing, Jerry? Good, thanks for barking you. Good, thanks, Jerry. Simon is here too. Lads, here's where we're at with Connacht. Five wins in a row in all competitions, top of the Pro 12 table, top point scorers in the Pro 12, top try scorers in the Pro 12, averaging almost three a game, which is pretty impressive. They're also in the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup and looking like they're going to qualify for the Champions League. And not only are they doing exceptionally well here, Simon, but they're playing some decent rugby too.
1: They play great rugby. They're probably the entertainers of the Pro 12 at the moment. They've great variety to the game, Jerry. in that you know, they were originally seen as this dogged team who could do well in bad weather, particularly at home. They can now do a little bit of everything. They finish their chances better mm. than any other team, which is, you know, we're seeing this in the Six Nations as well at the moment. Like Wales and Ireland get within five yards of the line and they can't finish chances, cannot get there, and they almost inevitably find a way to get over. They have uh, the young uh, fours that are coming up the likes of Ulton Delan, who you wrote about Jerry at the weekend, they've all the young back rowers coming James up. James
5: Connolly, another young back rower. Yeah, Masters, another the, young back Yeah, they can runner. all play
1: rugby, and then maybe the the, the greatest vote of confidence in in Pat Lam, John Muldoon. The likes of John Muldoon, uh, again another very dogged player throughout his career, great heart, but he now has added this skill level very late in his career which, you know, we keep hearing that somebody gets to 26, 27, they can't really Mm. change the sort of player they are. Well, John Muldoon has done it. And a lot of that credit is going to Pat Lamb.
5: Yes, Yes. skills, skills, skills. And I could see the breakdown... I think it was something like 96% on Friday night against uh, Edinburgh in the clear. Elk. Some 105 of 109 rucks. He talks about the process. He goes on ad nauseum. You've been to one Patlam press conference. You've been to them all. You've got nothing left to learn after the first one. And you wonder at times, is it just that same mantra with the players? They don't get weary of it. But they don't. And each day they come in with the determination to train better or play better than they did the day before. And it's a constantly ongoing review process to that end. Now... The players obviously buy into it because he obviously keeps the training sessions very entertaining. And as do his fellow coaches, they keep it all very entertaining and different. And they're also seeing the fruits of their labour. They're also a very hungry province. You've got a lot of players. I think if you look at the kind of players they bring in, the attitude that he wants from them. They're players who maybe haven't succeeded elsewhere. And haven't succeeded in Leinster, haven't succeeded in Munster, haven't succeeded abroad like Jay Keenan. Or they're coming here like Bundy and they really buy into the Connacht ethos. And they're all hungry for success with Connaught. And they're now producing players for the Irish setup as well when you think of Nathan White and Kieran Marmion and most of all Ulton Delán. Mm. Um, I, I did a lot of research into Ulton Delán last week and there's no doubt that Tralee RFC deserve huge credit for developing this kid from 11 to 18 years of age. No school in any hand actor partner more or less apart from Tralee CBS. And then the Munster Mr. trick. they only offered him a sub-academy contract when he was 18 and playing for the Irish under-19s and um, Nigel Carroll and Jimmy Duffy who've done immense work with the Connaught Academy there bringing through players from their own province and from other problems that they wouldn't take they took a punt into land brought him up on a full academy contract and then you've got to give Corinthians huge credit as well and the club game huge credit for the three years they've invested in him and look what he's become there was always a raw talent there but it's like all the players up there the skill set and I think they seem very comfortable the young players with the brand of rugby they're trying to play up there they're not the most defensively they're not the most sure team in the competition but they seem to have an attitude of you score 3 we'll score 4 <laughs> and, um, which is you're right it's a big change from the, I remember the Michael Bradley era back in 2000 and was it 3 when they had the sword of Damocles hanging over them the RFU threatened to extinguish them and Michael Bradley was the coach a few years afterwards they developed this reputation as having a very big pack with a big set-piece game and very potent line-up mall and scored a lot of their tries from line-up malls. They can still score line-up malls they show the weekend, but there's just so much more variety. It's quite a transformation under Lamb, you have to say. Jerry. talk to us about how they've grown the game they've sourced
0: talent in non-traditional areas uh, because uh, three of the regular starters in the Irish under-20s set up this year were from Sligo.
5: Yes, um, this is largely down to Nigel Carroll and the work he does. I've been seeing, lauding this guy's praises for years as the best academy director around in the country. And you compare it to what, like Delan missing the net in, in Munster, cause, and he came from Tralee and he ends up in Conn. So they're, they're reaching out not just into parts of the province they never went before. The schools game has taken off up there in a way that it hasn't. I mean, there's way more schools teams playing the game. It's, it's, it's more than doubled or tripled in the last 15 years with Nigel Carroll there. He goes out and about, the province goes out and about, they train in all these different locations so they've become part of the five counties and like I said they reach further then into Leinster and, and Munster as well it's largely down to the work of the academy people there Jimmy Duffy and Nigel Carroll um, and it's, it's reaped a really rich dividend in terms of results as well at underage level they they were a joke they didn't even play against Leinster Munster and Ulster at under 18 under 20 into provincial level they played the Leinster A side which was the A school side about 15 years ago they're now winning into pro titles occasionally like it's it's quite it's quite miraculous what's happened here at underage level. And then you've got a fan base that's more than doubled as well through building the clan terrace and so forth. And you've got a hunger within the whole environment there. They've seen Leinster, Munster, Ulster have taste of the glory, and they've been left out. And now they all want us. You've got a fan base that wants it, you've got a player base that wants it, you've got a coaching base that wants it, you've got an academy. You've got there's no slackers clearly in that system. Lamb wouldn't tolerate it. Nigel Carroll, Lam wouldn't top it. And they can see a route through from the academy through to the team that they probably wouldn't get in all the other provinces necessarily. And you've got a guy like Alton Delan who's within three seasons of academy in his first half a year as a pro already in the Irish team. And that's going to give a huge fill-up to the rest of the young players within the squad mm-hmm. as well. So I I always f- feared that they would somehow top out, that they would reach a plateau, there'd be glass ceiling, would stop Connor kind of from going any further. But now you look at that table... And quite likely, they're going to push Ulster and Munster into playoff for the Champions Cup next season, which is the story of the season when you think of it.
0: But at the same time, how do you think the IRFU will feel if they qualify for the Champions Cup at the expense of Munster or Ulster?
5: It's the way it's it's done now. That's the whole thing. They've backed it to go and do this. So, you know, there's no, them, them's the rules. If they yeah. finish above Munster and Ulster, but they're in.
0: They're still the team, we'll say, with the most limited growth potential from a fan base perspective. Yep. They'd be the team with the smallest, uh, you know, wage bill. Yeah. And they're obviously not the traditional, a traditional power of Europe with, with history. So, that would never have been the RFU's plan. So, part of me would feel like this isn't how they'd want it to go and probably isn't the most lucrative
5: route for the RFU to go. Yeah, but it's very good for Irish rugby. You've got four competitive provinces rather than three pushing each other. I think, you know, Munster or Ulster, if one of them has to go through the playoff route, it's conceivable that Ireland will have four teams mm. in the Champions Cup next year. There's nothing wrong in that. I think it'll give um, a good kick up the arse for Munster or Ulster if they end up in this position, particularly Munster, and they'll have to come back stronger next year. Ultimately, competitiveness has to be good. Very similar in Australia. The Brumbies came along as a bit of a, a lightweight, gonna kind of make makeshift Cinderella province compared to the other ones. But they became quite revolutionary in their outlook and the way they played the game. And they became the main force in Australian rugby. And it doesn't. Size matters, but it doesn't have to be the be all and end all. I mean, Connacht can, by rights, put out a better team than Munster. They proved that in Thomond Park last November. And there weren't a better team on the night. And they're going to be a better team over the season, by the looks of it. We've been so positive about Connacht today. But.
0: Let's talk about the attitude of the big players, Jerry. And traditionally, we know when a big when an offer comes in from Munster or, or Leinster, yeah. in particular, um, that the top players for Connacht will make a move and they'll go where there's more money and they'll go, you know, to
5: display some ambition. That's still the case now, though, isn't it? My understanding is that he's not that Robbie Henshaw you're talking about primarily here, going from Connacht to Leinster. Robbie Henshaw, Henshaw or, or traditionally Mike not,
1: McCarthy, Berger, Jack Jackman, all the names, yeah, and, the and, and
5: yeah, and yeah. potentially Ulton Delan in the future. It's not a money thing. It, the rules are that they're not actually allowed to offer these players anymore they can only match the offer that the existing province and in the case of Henshaw it's an international contract mm. and he chooses his province. I mean, I've I've searched a lot of this and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people behind the scenes in this including Robbie Henshaw himself and the absolute message coming through every single time is it was very much a Robbie Henshaw decision. I'd say it was quite heavily influenced by training in Irish camp with so many Leinster players particularly Johnny Sexton um, even Brian O'Driscoll in his first year there. You know, that would have a big sway, a big pull on somebody like Robbie Henshaw. And he comes from You know, He's even distant from Dublin as he is from Galway. And his girlfriend's based in Dublin. So there'd be a lot of personal factors in this as well for him. And it was very much a personal decision. But you are probably always going to get that. The bright lights of the capital city is going to attract players from Connacht. That's always going to be the way.
1: It does tie into the sustainability aspect of this. And if there is a ceiling to Connacht, it's their ground... Um, it's maybe Pat Lam. He's said uh, last year he's going to stay till 2018, and some of the quotes at that time, he described this not just as a job, but as a vision. You know, it's a bigger project than just another job for him and his career. How much of this is tied into Pat Lam? How much of this is tied into the fact that their ground opportunities aren't great in Galway? I mean, how how big can Connock be, or how long can they stay at this level?
5: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, they're already staying longer than we expected them to. Uh, I think you have to give Eric Elwood huge credit as well because Eric, every week, practically morally blackmailed Connaught and the professional games board in Connaught and the RFU to build the clan terrace there because he was just so... He said it himself. He came out in public and said he was embarrassed by the state of the sports ground. It wasn't equipped to be a major venue. It still is lagging behind, but... It's got a, a sense of home now and a sense of foreboding for away teams and it's got a passion about it There's and an a connection. There's atmosphere there that was never, never there before. It's better atmosphere now than Thurman Park, let's be honest about it. It really is. It's got a home factor there now that never used to be there before and it was Eric Elwood who first started clamouring for that um, and I think, yeah, it would be a great legacy to this current rejuvenation on the pitch that the development of the sports grounds continues apace. A lot of people wanted them to move out to Corinthian Park at the time, I think in hindsight that would have been a mistake. One of the great virtues of the sports ground it is from walking distance from Air Square, it is from walking distance from all those um, magnificent pubs. It's a great uh, weekend to go there. Oh, yeah. It's
1: just as good as there is. The other part of the sustainable aspect of this is that kind of keep providing players to the Irish setup, yeah. and the type of players they're providing at the moment are the ones that I think would fit into Joe Schmidt's plan and formula. Um, the under twenties this year, they've five players. We mentioned three of them from Sligo, which is amazing. They've five players from Connacht in the under twenties. I think Ulster only have four, Munster have eight, Leinster have a lot.
5: Leinster last season, Munster only had one.
1: Yeah, so yeah. so is that a big part of it? That it, you know, for the you to be happy with them being one of the representatives in the Champions Cup, they are. Always, there's always two, three, four Connacht players around a senior Irish squad.
5: Yes, and that should be the ideal. Far better to have four feet into an international team than just three. I can never understand the treatment of Conard as this kind of province just feeding the others. Um, If they're directly feeding the Irish team it makes sense that the golden generation is past Simon you know what I mean we're not going to have another Brian O'Driscoll or Paul O'Connell again therefore we've got to reinvent the wheel a little bit and we've got to reach out further. How many more Ulton Delans are there out there? You know, just incredible thing. Stuart McCloskey's, How many more are there out there? He came. He didn't really come through the school route. He was just playing around Dungannon for a year when he was spotted. Ulster, Niall, Tralee, Corinthians, Connacht Academy. How many more wonderful talents are there out there in junior rugby and Connacht reaching into Sligo and stuff? So I think Ireland, our view and Irish rugby, has to reach out further to tap into this huge potential that might be out there when you see all the athletes that play Gaelic football and hurling in this country there's plenty of letters out there but traditionally rugby has got the most scope to reach out further it doesn't reach out and it can reach out a awful lot further and Connor? we're always going to help them do that more than anybody else when you think about it because there was such an untapped reserve up until relatively recently. We're going to
0: talk a lot more about Ireland and Italy on Thursday, obviously. But Gerry, um, just on Joe Schmidt's selection, what are you thinking? Are you expecting any new faces, more new faces to be brought in? Are you expecting Ulton Delan to potentially start?
5: Yeah, Delan is an interesting one because uh, the word from the camp at the start of last week was that all the bench would be released back to their provinces plus Mike Ross, who always seems to have a bit more need of game time than others within the squad, um, keep him ticking over. And then Delan wasn't released back. And he actually did step in for Donnick Ryan at training um, early last week, which we weren't told about because Ryan was rested for some reason that I'm still not sure of. So that would suggest they're definitely looking at Delan as a potential starter. And if you were going to start him in either of the last two games, you'd imagine you'd start him at home to Italy rather than Scotland, who looked potentially much more Mm -hmm. dangerous opposition. Also, he is a val. He's a valid line out option at six foot six. He's a huge raw talent. He's very explosive, very dynamic. You saw that in the in the in the carries. He's good at stealing ball. And Devon toner unfortunately, has to take part of the culpability for three missed line outs in the opposition twenty two, even if Rory Best has to do so as well. So I think if you were gonna have a look at another young player from the start, the De- Delan, having had a go off the bench, done so well. Yes, I, you you would like to see him start against Italy. I'd like to see Van der Flier given another game. I'm sure he will be. And be the the key one then is what he does with Jared Payne.
1: Yeah, fullback. Some some of the Sunday papers are speculating that Rob Carney will be dropped. Payne will come in at fifteen. Yeah, could well. Would be. you would you do that?
5: Um, I. Drops is harsh on Rob. I think he's been a great servant. He's, you know, there's always players like Jamie Heasley or Rob Carney, whoever it is, just to become easy targets. Just become fashionable targets for a while. But it would be interesting to see what... Just, we know what Rob Carney can do so it would be interesting to see, I suppose, another option there in terms... I thought Carney was much They're better. Yes. I think paying a full-back would be interesting, because right? he's... When he hits the line from full back, he seems to have even more time on the ball and he brings other players into play. He clearly was missed in Twickenham in terms of his influence. And, and we'd like to see no- another look at McCluskey and Henshaw.
0: And there's nothing to lose in this game as well, really, Jerry. Like Italy are so far off the pace. Yeah. It's a home game. You can only lose own, home to it, Italy, which it, would be a disaster.
1: It, it, yeah. But really <laughs> We're also think- more likely to beat Italy, I think, if we bring in some of these fresh players.
5: Yes, you could see that the, you know that it had a refreshing, rejuvenating effect on the team. You see, I mean how important was to land that revival in the last twenty minutes to see a young kid come off the bench make his debut? I imagine that gives a huge lift to other more seasoned, experienced players as well. And what they did during training during the week, McCluskey and. Uh and Van de Flair as well the way he grew into the match so yeah if they all start I think also it will energise the crowd a huge amount there's something to, more to watch
1: this game for yes, exactly if there's young yes, players there if you go
5: to the Aviva and you've got three young Irish lads all making their home debuts I think that would be far more exciting for the crowd as well you know ok
0: Jerry. thanks for talking to us cheers
1: Field, Sean O'Brien smashes my field. It could still be on for England. England and
5: Ireland are possibly watching this in despair. Poppock says, enough is enough. The
2: title is going to Ireland.
0: Okay, that's almost all we've got for you today. But Murphy, you wanna, what do you want to say about Connacht? Well, just, I've I found it very interesting over the last couple of
4: years that uh, Jerry makes a very good point there, and you guys have made a very good point there, about Connacht kind of getting players from places where they just haven't got them before. Mm. And it's it's really interesting to see that the say the schools game will always produce a certain amount of of players in Munster and Ulster and in in Leinster. But what you're seeing now more and more is guys from guys in Connacht, young athletes in Connacht, looking for the closest rugby club that they can go to and joining joining making the decision to join a club as opposed to going to a certain going to a certain school yeah. and going through the. There's there's a pathway there for players from Leinster, Ulster, and Munster to become an Irish international. the the players in Connacht you're kind of getting a different type of player altogether because you're you're getting guys who are drawn to it just uh, as individuals, not as a decision made by their parents or whatever to go to a certain school. and as a result, you really are getting players that you just wouldn't get get otherwise. and it's GA people in Connacht are. They're a little bowled over by how many young players. They're not. They're not losing that many, mm. but the, the amount of young GA players in Connacht who are also playing rugby is a bit of an eye opener for for people in Galway and Mayo and Sligo and Roscommon and Leitrim and that, that and that's it, it's brilliant news for Irish rugby because you're getting guys that you would never get. Um, but it does kind of ask a few questions of the GA to make sure that they have their ducks in a row to actually trying to ensure that they keep some of these brilliant athletes as well
0: uh, Before we go Murph after Owen had seemed to start to warm up to Jimmy Nesbitt in the last show yep. and you suggested a Jimmy Nesbitt fact session with its, own, yep. with its own bet it would be a good and exciting new slot to the show
2: i here with
1: a
0: you want today's Jimmy Nesbitt fact? <laughs> yes. yes. When please. Jimmy Nesbitt was 15, he got his first paid job as a bingo caller at Barry's Amusements in Port Rush. <laughs> he was paid £1, a, £1 an hour for the summer job and would also, on occasions, work as the brake man on the Big Dipper.
2: <laughs>
4: Barry's of Port Rush is the most Northern Irish thing in the world, by the way. Is it? So, Have oh, oh, you been there? I have been to so, uh, out of season what is it uh, like
2: some court town type you know. uh,
4: yeah it's kind of like a mini amusement arcade oh, right. you know they've got like the bumper cars and everything but it's like it's on the main street in Port Rush so it's not like a sprawling complex yeah,
0: yeah. Brake man on the Big Dipper is a pretty responsible job, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, if,
4: if yeah, if you're taking that role seriously, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many brake men on the Big Dipper that have actually taken that job overly seriously, but nevertheless.
0: Right, that's a Jimmy Desmond fact, and that's also the end of the show. Thanks again for listening for the past three years. Please continue to spread the word on iTunes and online, and follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Thank you, Ken.
2: Thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Mark. Thanks,
2: Ken. Thank you, Ken. And
0: thanks for listening, folks. Goodbye.
2: Is that, that's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Does does.